Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is a special version of The Death Show where we're just going to focus on healing your heart after losing your beloved animal. And we have at least four or five experts who are going to discuss um, what you need to do, where your animals go after they die. So there's a lot of positive energy that's going to come out of this, and hopefully it'll help you heal. And this particular show was actually was aired months ago, but I re-recorded the introduction because three days ago, my beloved Kaylee, uh, my my cat, I love her so much. She um, she went to heaven, and uh, yeah, it's been really hard. It's the the wave of sadness is intense and I cannot even describe it but I know you, you understand so I'm walking through this valley with you right now I'm listening to my own show because I need the consolation as much as you do uh, real quick here's a recent conversation I had with Kaylee in the last year before she went to heaven Kaylee what what do you want yeah, Kaylee used to boss me around all the time. She was my boss, and I, it's kind of weird. It's so surreal, her not being here. And you can imagine how it's surreal with your beloved pet not being there for you. But don't worry. Uh, you and I, we're going to walk through this together. We're going to heal together. Let's begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Julie Forbes. She's the host and producer of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You learn more about her by going to her website at dogradio.com Ms. Forbes as a passionate lover of animals especially dogs what are some of the things that you recommend that people do when they've lost their beloved animal their beloved dog or cat yeah thanks for having me I just wanted to clarify it's dogradioshow.com dogradioshow.com sorry about that yeah yeah well, it's so hard, and I say the first thing is just to acknowledge that I know how much it hurts, and, uh, you know, I've been through it, lots of us have been through it, and it's important to connect with people who understand the process and, you know, not talking to people who think, you know, I don't know why you're so upset, it's just a dog, because they are out there, it's hard to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, really connecting with people who get it, and in whatever way that means for you as an individual because everybody processes grief differently and we have our different ways of of kind of processing emotion so you know for some people it might be connecting with people but you know even at a distance one of my closest friends her old dog just passed away and she reached out to me and said I miss my dog so much it's so weird that he's gone and I called her back to you know, just reach out and show support. She didn't answer. And then she replied with a text message. Thanks for your message. I'm not in the mood to talk, uh, but I knew you'd understand. And so, you know, she just, she wanted to reach out. She wanted to connect. She didn't really feel like talking. It was really just through a text, but that was what what worked for her. And that was fine. So everybody's situation is different. Some people are going to want to sit face to face and hug and cry and other people are going to want to keep more of a distance but however that looks it's important to connect visual miss julie yeah miss julie Barbs, want to thank you so much for being with us today again julie hosts the dog show and it's her live wednesdays from 2 to 3 p.m on alternative talk 11 50 a.m learn more about julie by going to her website at dogradioshow.com thank you so much for being thank with you miss Forbes. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Joining us now is Reverend Gary Kowalski. He's the author of best-selling books on animals, nature, history, and spirituality. You can learn more about him by going to his website at kowalskibooks.com. Reverend Kowalski, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us. 
Oh, thank you, Ryan. Good to be here. Thank you. So, a lot of good books about animals, spirituality pertaining to animals. How does spirituality incorporate into animals? Do they have the same spiritual trajectory that human beings have? What is their evolution compared to human beings? Well, I think we're all endowed with soul, with an emotional and spiritual life, and I think other species uh, share in that uh, and maybe <laughs> maybe exceed us in some ways. You know, in my book, The Souls of Animals, I called my dog Chinook my spiritual guide and compared him to a, a Zen master. Animals, animals keep us grounded. They live in the moment. Their wants are simple. Uh, they don't have big ego hangups the way we do. So, yeah, uh, animals do have spiritual lives. But I, I really uh, became aware of the complexity and, and depth of animals' inner lives. It was like almost almost 30 years ago now, the story of Coco and her pet kitten. Coco's a female lowland gorilla, and she told her trainer, uh, she was involved in this language, you know, research. She'd learned about 500 words in American Sign Language and said she wanted a pet kitten for her birthday. So uh, they found a little cat for Coco, and they quickly bonded and became friends. But then somehow the the cat got out of the compound at the Gorilla Foundation out in California and was uh, hit by a car and killed. And what amazed me was that one of um, the researchers was able to interview this gorilla to, you know, probe what she understood about what had happened. And Coco was asked, why do gorillas die? And she made the signs for trouble and old. And Coco was asked, uh, where do gorillas go when they die? And she again made the signs for a comfortable hole, like a hole in the ground. And then she made the sign of goodbye, uh, touching her fingers to her lips and blowing a kiss of farewell. And finally, Coco was asked, how do, how do uh, gorillas feel when they die? Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they afraid? And Coco put her head down on her hand in a sign for for sleep. And uh, that had such a huge impact on me because at about that time, I just lost my own grandfather and was really struggling with with his death. And somehow Coco's story touched me at a really profound level. You know, I, I didn't feel so alone with my mourning any longer. I understood that this this story of life and birth and and grief and, and renewal had been going on for millennia, and it didn't just include uh, me and my family. It, it included the whole of nature. So, so while I'd lost, uh, you know, a dearly beloved member of my immediate family, I just felt somehow uplifted and, and embraced to know that I was part of this much, much older and larger story of. Uh, life's evolving journey. Do you find it particularly, um, I guess, interesting and unusual that other animals clearly had the capability of understanding death and they can feel emotion and they can understand sadness and sorrow and happiness? Well, no, I think think this is generally accepted now, you know. Uh, It wasn't at the time when I wrote my book in 1991, Souls of Animals came out and I talked about Elephants, how elephants will hold funerals for members of their family who pass. I talked about Cynthia Moss, who worked with uh, uh, African elephants in Kenya. One one team was, was shot by hunters and died, and her family stayed with her all night. They went into the, br- at the, the brush and gathered vegetation and branches, covered the body with dirt. My my publisher at the time said, you're making this up. This doesn't really happen. It's common knowledge now. You know, it's it's generally accepted that, that other species experience uh, love, loyalty, affection for their mates and their offspring as we do, and, and that when those 
bonds are torn asunder, they experience uh, deep, profound grief and and mourning. Um, When you say this, this is why I can never understand how people can be so cruel to animals and why I feel factory farming is such a grave affront to all life. I I can't believe that all these animals are brutally tortured, murdered every single day. Ryan, I've I've been a vegetarian for 30 years and a vegan for seven, so... I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I. I think we need to do everything we can to minimize the suffering of other beings on our planet, uh, who have have feelings, who suffer much as we do. Do you think that, because I guess human beings perceive themselves to be the superior in one way, shape, form, that they can control their environment? that, theoretically speaking, we may not be as emotionally mature or maybe emotionally less mature than a lot of the animals as far as how they perceive emotion and perceive mourning. Yeah, I think think, uh, human beings are the junior siblings in the family of life and that animals are our elders and could be our mentors and teachers if we would let them. So, Reverend Kowalski, I have to say, I look at my uh, two pups, uh, two dogs, and I think that they have it made because they have two human beings domestically trained that do anything for them. You know, they get they get treated like gold. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, I want to be able to do that one day. So I definitely feel that they're more evolved as a species, and I think that yeah, of course they're more they're more evolved. But you know, dogs they all have their own personalities too. I, my 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 dear dog Chinook, I called him my spiritual guide. But uh, I started writing my book about pet loss when Chinook was about eleven. You know, he was he he was a a rescue dog and and a big guy, some kind of lab husky mix. When they get to be 11, you can see the handwriting on the wall. You, yeah. you, you know they're not going to last much longer. So I started writing my book for myself as much for, as for general readers. But then, you know, a, a year or so after, after Chinook died, we got Smokey and, uh, Smokey was more, uh, my spiritual, uh, challenger than my, my teacher. He was a, he was he was a handful, you know. We had a long argument about who was the alpha male in our family. <laughs> Did you win? Uh, it was a it was a draw, I would say. <laughs> you know, I, I see one of your books you have. It's called Goodbye Friend: Healing Wisdom for Anyone Who's Lost a Pet. It's on Amazon. By the way, this book's got two hundred and fifty-seven customer reviews. All all of them are five-star reviews. It's incredible. And one of the things you talk about is that talk about creating rituals to honor your pet's memory. Can you please talk about that, the significance of that, and what people can do? Well, you know, I I, I think the, the bonds we have with animals are as as close and near and dear as as any in life. And in some ways, the love we share with our animals is even more intense than than what we share with family members you know one of my good friends uh talked about losing her horse horses live for 40 years she got this animal when she was a teenager and uh she lost her horse in middle age and every day it's a hands-on it's immediate thing you know you're you're grooming the animal you're exercising it you're caressing it it's very tactile very very visceral and she said not to take away from anything of the, the the grief she felt when her parents died but when that horse passed it was it had a different kind it had a different quality to it uh, you know the 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 relationships we share with our companion animals i think are extremely uh pure uh extremely uncomplicated and and for that reason the the grief can be particularly intense and i i think that it's necessary for that reason to 
to mark those milestones, to have a, a, a moment to acknowledge uh, that an important part of our lives has come to an end and that uh, we need to both grieve and, and celebrate uh, the years that, that we shared together. So I do have some just, you know, practical tips for creating ceremonies or rituals as well as samples of readings and poetry and passages of, of literature that have brought comfort to me over the years. So like, could a ritual be that like you go to the park and you have your significant other throw the ball and you run after the ball and you honor yeah. your husband that way or, you know, you sit on the couch the way they do or, you know, you, you, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what's I, a, what, I would do you're, some you're, you're, you're asking what's a ritual, yeah, Ryan? Like, what, what's a ritual that somebody could say? Okay, well, you know. Here, well, you know, you, you know, you know, when, when my, when my kids were, we're young in grade school. Uh, we had a parakeet, and we lived in Vermont. We had an ice storm. Our power went out for almost a week, and the little bird perished. It got too cold. With two feet of snow on the ground, it's hard to have a burial. So we had a sky burial for Fruity, the little parakeet, and we had a basket, and we lined it with uh, a a clean cloth and we carefully placed fruity high in a tree and you know said a few words of appreciation and a prayer to send fruity spirit back to the sky where uh it longed to be so often oftentimes oftentimes the rituals that accompany a pet's death are are somewhat less somber, somewhat less solemn than a memorial or, or a funeral for uh, a human family member. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's important to, um, to mark the occasion. Okay. And what do you feel are some of the best things in your experience that will bring the most comfort. Should you seek that comfort in, um, as quickly as possible, or do you find that the well, comfort's well, 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 no, well, no, I, I, I don't think as quickly as possible. You know, grief doesn't have a set timetable, but uh, it, it takes a while. <laughs> you know, Oftentimes, well, even now, the death of a pet is is minimized by so many people. They'll say, "Well, it's just a dog, or it's just a cat, or a horse, or or a bird." Uh, and then, you know, occasionally people may say a word of kindness or sympathy, but after two weeks have passed, gee, aren't you over it by now? When two weeks have passed. The reality of of the loss is just starting to set in. You, you know, you're just passing through that first stage of, of numbness and and disbelief, and the finality is starting to hit you. So it's it's a matter of months or a year or two before life begins to regain a new normalcy, a new kind of equilibrium. Um, so no, don't try and get over it as quickly as possible. You know, I was so disappointed. This was two or three years ago, but the American Psychiatric Association uh, changed its its policies in its DSM-3 for the use of uh, antidepressant drugs. They used to classify uh, death as a legitimate cause for depression. Of course, if you lose your the love of your life, you're going to feel bad and you need to cry. You need to shed tears. If if you stuff those emotions, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be living a, in a kind of diminished state. You're never going to really be able to release into uh, the, the, the letting go that has to happen. But then the, the, the uh, medical association, the psych- psychiatrist decided, no, if you're feeling depressed, you need to take some drugs and make you feel happy as quickly as possible. So I, you know, I strongly disagreed with that. I, I think you have to go through 
the the shadows of life you you do have life is tragic it's it's not all fun and part of part of loving is also is also grieving so I know it's the, it, it sucks. I, I hate to, I hate it. I hate to, I hate the it, downside. I want, I want, I want to have the. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'm. Yeah. I, I truly am sorry. But it, 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 you, you have to go through it. You have, you have to suffer it. You have to endure it. And there is hope and new life and light on the other side. Do you explain anything from your perspectives on where? animals will go when they die? Or do they go to the same place? You know how sometimes they say if a yeah, person is the vibrational frequency let me, and they're bad? Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you one of my favorite stories because personally I don't have an answer to that question. You know, beliefs, beliefs, beliefs differ and I don't, think, I don't think anybody knows for sure. But one of my favorite stories is from the Hindu tradition from the Ramayana, which is one of their major religious epics. It's it's about 500 years older than the Christian Bible. It's this long, long saga of of dynasties and battles and 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 wars of succession. But at the at the very end, uh, it's it's a story of a spiritual journey, and the the hero of this spiritual journey is named Yuhistara. And uh, he has made it to the top of the tallest mountain in the world. He's at the, you know, he's at the, which represents some kind of enlightenment or or wisdom. And all his all his traveling companions have have fallen by the wayside. They've been weighted down by their karmic sins and imperfections. But you know, Euhistera is is brave and pure and upright and true, and he's made it to the the very pinnacle of the highest mountain, and there he meets Indra, the king of the gods. And Indra says, well done, you Histhara. You've, you've completed the pilgrimage. You've reached the summit. I have a golden chariot here waiting for you. Climb in, and we'll go to heaven. And then Indra says, but you Histhara, I notice you have a dog with you. And we have a strict rule. There are no dogs allowed in heaven. A dog is not worthy of paradise. And you hissed a protest. He says, oh, great Indra, this dog has been with me on this long, arduous journey. He's been faithful and, and loyal, and, and I couldn't just leave my dog here behind. And uh, Indra says, sorry, uh, a, rule, a rule's a rule, no dogs in heaven. And at this point, you hissed says, well, if, if that is indeed the rule, I'm going to forego my own chance at eternal bliss, I'll stay here with my dog rather than going to heaven with you. And uh, at, at this point in the legend, uh, the, the dog turns into a god. You know, the, the dog was just an avatar. It was, it was the, the, the earthly form of a deity. And the dog is translated into the firmament, into the heavenly realms, and becomes the dog's star. And so, you know, Yuhisthara and uh, the dog, man and mutt, both go into the eternal realms forever. And I, I love that. I love that story uh, because, you know, it suggests that we're all going to the same place. And, and w- w- whatever is true, I think that it's true that in these these relationships of unconditional love, unconditional loyalty, unconditional acceptance, you know, that's where we're going to find a little foretaste of what whatever heaven might be like. Um, that's really awesome. And Reverend Kowalski, what would you say would be in the course of writing your books – maybe one or two of the most profound lessons that you yourself have learned about our relationship with animals and you know what their true purpose is is in our life and what our what our purpose is in their lives no i i think we're here to love them to enjoy them to appreciate them 
to uh, be part of the, the the community of life that every every living every living creature is seeking to share in a, a greater life, a more a more unified uh, and and connected kind of life. So I think that's I think that's our purpose here on earth to realize that we're not just you know it's it, let, let me let me put it this way Ryan I I I I think at a certain stage of spiritual enlightenment you realize that whatever it is all about whatever it is all about it's not all about me <laughs> and you and you and you see that you know the whales and the butterflies and the the our our animal companions and the migrating geese and the penguins they all are part of this beautiful beautiful pageant of of sacred life and celebrating that sacred life is our purpose here that's fantastic reverend gary kowalski author of the best-selling books on animals, nature, history, and spirituality. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You can learn more about Reverend Kowalski by going to his website at kowalskibooks.com. You have to check these books out. I mean, if you look at all these books, they all have five-star reviews. And I can tell you, sir, it was very pleasant speaking with you. Thank you for being with us today. Ryan, thank you. Have a good day. Welcome back to the program. This is Miss Sue Pike, the animal talker. A little more about it by going to the website at suepikeenergy.com. Ms. Pike, from your perspective, having been able to read and communicate directly with animals, what happens to them when they die? Do they go to a different place that human beings do? And also, do they continue to reach out to humans after they die? Do they want to send messages and signals that they're okay? Well, first of all, thank you so much, Ryan, for having me back on the show. I appreciate it. And I know the animals do as well. So it's a very difficult time after our pet uh, transitions, obviously. Um, I've been through it. I've been there. The good news is that they never really leave us. Obviously, they leave us in their physical bodies, but they're always around us. And, in fact, a lot of people notice that they'll see out of the corner of their eye a flash of their animal or sometimes people talk to me about they're in bed and they feel the presence of their animal like hopping up on the bed. Sometimes people are in the kitchen and they'll feel like their animal rubbing up against their leg or ankle. They are not making this up. The animals do come to visit us. To let, the, to let us know that we're okay. And they're just in a different form now. And, of course, we miss them in their physical bodies, obviously, but they're never really gone from us. And they do go to another dimension, and apparently, from what I understand, I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but from all the sessions I've worked with animals on the other side, they are with other animals and people as well. And so they can reconnect and be with someone from your family uh, that has passed, and they are together again. They are sometimes with other pets of ours that have crossed uh, earlier in our lives. They can be with them as well. Now, interestingly enough, sometimes an animal isn't hanging around with their brother, dog, or sister, cat, or whatever. Sometimes they are doing different things. From my sessions, it's very fascinating. They tell me they all do different things. So, for example, some animals, when they die, they are in what I've been told is called spirit school. So they learn how to actually what they what we call astrally travel, which is what they do to come and visit us. So when you see them out of the corner of your eye or brush against your leg, they're learning how to do that so they so we know that they're around us still. Other animals are actually teachers, and they're teaching other animals how to do this. Uh, sometimes animals are just hanging out 
playing, relaxing, but it really depends on the individual animal because they're all different beings, just like people. There's more higher evolved beings, and those are the ones that are usually teaching or doing other things, helping others. Uh, I worked with a kitty recently who passed, and she was very young, and she said that her job was to help other little kitties and actually babies cross over. So it's, I find it fascinating that they're all doing different things, but they never leave us. They're always in our hearts, obviously, and they do visit us, and they want us to be happy and know that they are around us. And the higher evolved beings can also be our spirit guides. So if you ever need help with anything, you can just take a few deep breaths and remember your animal friend and ask them to help you with whatever it is that you need help with. They are more than help, happy to help us with whatever we need assistance with. All right. Well, I have two dogs, two yeah. little angels, and one of them is a little bit more jealous than the other one. So right. I'm wondering, <laughs> if you have a dog or a cat, that is in the spirit world, and they happen to be the jealous type. Are they going to be jealous of you with your other, you know, new dog or cat that you're with? And will they will no. they let the other dog or cat know? It's like well, your cat or dog will walk up to you and say, "Oh my goodness," you know. Can they? Can your other dogs that are alive or cats that are alive perceive the etheric? Can they perceive spirits? Can they perceive other animals that are in the spirit form? Yes, a lot of times, actually, the animal are pets uh, that are still alive will be seeing them maybe perhaps before we're experiencing them uh, unless we're very in tune and can pick up on those things. And But the animal will make it obvious that they're around if we're not picking up on it right away. But, yes, they definitely visit uh, the animals that are still in the household. And, you know, the animals that are still in the household are sad, even if they might have had kind of a, you know, like you're saying, a jealous kind of relationship. They still miss them. You know, just like people, you know, sometimes our relationships with our siblings aren't, you know, you know, peachy keen all the time, but we still would miss them if they were gone. Um, and the same is true with the animals. And so they definitely see them around. The animals that have crossed, they don't, they lose all of that part of themselves, that ego part, which they don't really have a lot of anyway, not like people do. So they're not feeling jealousy or anything like that. And the animals that are still alive, sometimes um, they don't want, like, a new pet. They want to – they're enjoying the number one status now. You know? Not that they're not missing the one that has crossed, but a lot of times they'll say to me, you know, it's really nice to be number one now. <laughs> Get all well, the attention from the, the humans, you know. Now, as far as some of the animals go, what is the likelihood that you – Say, for example, if you have multiple cats or dogs or any other animals, that the animal that you currently have is actually your previous pet who died as, the, as a reincarnation. Yes, that's very, very, very common. And, in fact, um, you know, they choose us anyway. When we go to get that animal that's now in spirit form, you know that they have chosen us because perhaps they've been with us before. So that's the first thing. So they're always going to be with us. And, yes, they can reincarnate back into the same species, but they also can reincarnate back into a different species. So, for example, a cat can come back as a dog, a dog as a horse, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they might not come back exactly as the same species, but they can come back. I think it's important to know, too, that sometimes they don't want to come back. Uh, sometimes they're doing such important work that they can only do on the important other side. Important work. What work could they possibly be doing? Are they like, you know, we have to pee on certain trees in heaven. We need to, <laughs> well, there, there, are, there are butts to sniff. I mean. <laughs> well, that's true. There's a lot of that, too. <laughs> but the more... <laughs> The more highly evolved animals may have other jobs to do, like teaching other animals how to come and visit us or the other things I mentioned previously. Um, but some of them do come back uh, in this lifetime to come back to us to finish whatever karma that uh, may be finished or they just want to be back with us so again. Do dogs and the cats, do they have karma? Oh, yeah. Really? Yes. 
I don't and understand. What, what were they on karma that... for? I mean, I thought that, that the perception of good and evil was more of a human trait and a human quality. What 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 karma could no, it it's not, cost? No, it's not necessarily good or evil. It's more like perhaps they're finishing out some kind of uh, soul uh, contract that they have agreed to do. Um, if their job is to come and help us with opening up our heart or helping us with play and we're still not getting it, they may come back to help us with that. Um, so they, they're very highly evolved, more than we think they are beings. Um, and so they do come back to help us with those lessons, you know, especially if we need to be hit over the head with some of those things, you know. Miss Sue Pike, the animal talker. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Learn more thank about Miss Sue Pike by going to her website at suepikeenergy.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Pike. Thank you so much, Ryan. Joining us now is Ken Dolan Delvecchio, licensed marriage family therapist. He is also the founder of Green Gate Leadership. You can learn more about him by going to his website at greengateleadership.com. Mr. Delvecchio has also led several monthly pet loss groups for 11 years. Mr. Delvecchio, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be with you. Uh, so wrote this incredible book called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Advice Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. Can you please explain some of the um, most interesting aspects about your book and your groups and how people can basically start to heal when they've lost uh, their beloved uh, pet? Well, sure. The first thing that I'd like to let people know is that it's very common for people when they lose a pet to feel like this is the worst grief they've ever encountered. And almost every time people feel that way, there's some guilt that comes along with it because they may feel worse than they felt when their mother or their sibling died. And so I would like to let people know that it's absolutely normal for that to happen and you shouldn't you shouldn't feel badly about it at all and in fact it makes sense because when we have a pet they often live extremely close to us they may be the very first one who we say hello to when we wake up in the morning indeed they may be the the one who wakes us up by jumping on the bed they are the the one who we often tell our secrets to they are the one who greets us with excitement when we come home at night. And the relationship not only is so close in those terms, but as our pet gets older, it's very common for us to have to take care of them in very intimate ways. So we may have to give them medication. We may have to take them for special treatments. And so there's a kind of hands-on intimacy and contact that's very compelling. And it's it's similar to the way a parent takes care of their infant. And so there's many reasons why this kind of a loss can be extraordinarily significant and, and just make a huge impact. And, Ryan, I can go on, or do you have... You know, well, I just want to say that you mentioned a really interesting to... point that people tell their, their pets all the secrets. My beloved dogs, they know so many secrets that it could basically change the face of the world. I could probably go to prison for 500,000 years. They know everything. And they'll, and they'll never tell. Right. They don't tell. I'm like, don't you tell on daddy. Otherwise, I won't give you any treats, but I give them treats. I just, it's amazing that um, you know, you've written this book, and it has provided a lot of solace to people. What are some of the key principles that you would you recommend to people who are currently suffering right now? What sort of things that they should keep in mind that can help them begin the healing process? Well, there's so many things. First of all, it's important to recognize what a mess grief is. So if you are sometimes feeling like you don't believe that this happened and other times you're feeling furious and other times guilty or sad or hopeless or confused, all within the, the last five minutes <laughs> – that's what grief is. It's just a big mess of very changeable feelings, and it can make you feel like you're losing your mind. 
it's just important to tell yourself that this is normal. It's the way it goes. And if you can get yourself up in the morning and get yourself dressed and do what you need to do, perhaps get yourself to work to make sure that you are feeding yourself, you're taking care of any dependents who rely on you, then you're, you're doing okay. And it's your, you need to just put one foot in front of the other and, and keep going. And you can expect that your grief is going to move ahead unevenly. And very important to keep in mind because you may feel like you're doing much better for a few days and then you hear a song or you see perhaps another animal that reminds you of yours or whatever and it just comes crashing back at you. And another point would be that it's good to keep in mind that people grieve differently. So if you have a spouse or a partner or you have friends who have gone through this loss with you and they are not they're not responding the way you are. Maybe they have a little bit of sadness and then they seem to be they seem to be moving forward and not really encumbered by grief. That doesn't mean that they didn't care. It doesn't mean that they're grieving in a way that's wrong. There are no rules about this and it does vary from person to person. Depending on things like what kind of experiences of loss you've had in the past? Is this the first major loss or have you been through this kind of thing many times? Maybe you've lost relatives. What's your spirituality tell you? What do you believe about what loss means? What's the overall amount of stress that is present in your life at the time that you have the loss? Because this is a very significant stress and if it's, if it's piled on top of other things that are challenging you, it's likely to have an even greater impact. And then even things like your nationality. So, for example, half of my family is Italian, and it's a bit of a stereotype, but it may be true in your case that the stereotype of whatever nationality your family comes from applies at least a little bit. So there's part of my family pretty demonstrative, very expressive. And then the other half of my family is Swedish and English. And that tradition is likely to have a person feeling like, I've got to be stoic. I've got to just carry this with me and maybe not express it so much. All of these different factors combine to, to bring you to where you are in terms of how you're expressing your grief. It's very important to to recognize that if you feel guilty, that is also very, very typical. So many people who take extraordinarily good care of their pets are the ones who are going to feel the most guilty. They're going to feel like, I should have seen this. I should have recognized what was going on. As they say, 2020, hindsight is 2020. But you only knew what you knew and you did the best you could and you're not omniscient and you're not all powerful. And so if we experience guilt, we can recognize it, but we shouldn't get wrapped up in it. And those are some of the things that I think it's important for people to be aware of. I would say the very most important recommendation I can give is to be gentle with yourself, to take care of yourself, and that means things like try to get enough rest. It may be hard, but if you can't sleep, just lie and try to meditate and relax. Do some kind of exercise or movement. If you were regularly exercising before, it can be helpful to push yourself to keep your routine. Pay attention to what you're eating. All the basic stuff that comprises health care, self-care is important at a time like this. And then finally, social support. Really important to talk to people who love you, who respect you, and most important of all in this regard, who will understand the way you feel, who won't say things to you like, well, it was only a dog, why don't you get another one? Those yeah, kinds of things really are... twisted. I do find that retrain. I have to say, I love animals more than I do people. I, I, I'm... Not ashamed to admit that at all. 
Because I think animals, they love you unconditionally. They're cool. And as far as people goes, I think that they can learn a lot from animals as far as compassion and uh, fun goes, too. Sure. Some of my best, some of my favorite people aren't people as well. (laughs) When you're consoling people, do you, if they're open to the idea of the spirit carrying on, do you ever address that in your groups? And what's your personal perspective on it? Well, of course, I don't know, but I look at the cycles of nature, and that's where my philosophy, where my spirituality comes from, and everything cycles. So we go from sleep into wakefulness. We see the seasons always cycling, and happy spring to you. Today's the first day of spring. The sun rises, the sun sets. So my personal belief is that 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 applies to everything in nature. And I can tell you that there are lots of stories that people share. And I'll tell you one quick one, and that is that we had a family come to the group, and there were the parents who were there, and they said that their two teenage their two teenagers were doing their homework at the kitchen table, and the family had just lost lost their beloved boxer a couple of weeks before. And the dog had always had this special toy for many years, had a special toy. It was like a chew toy that disappeared a while before he died. And they, the kids were at the, the dining room table or the kitchen table. They were doing their homework. They heard scratching at the door just as they would when the dog was alive. And at first they didn't even pay attention to it because it was so familiar. And then they both startled and said, what was that? And they went and they opened the back door and there was that toy on the stoop, the back stoop. It was all covered in mud. And so it had been lost somewhere in the dirt. And there was a fence around the backyard and there was there was nobody and nothing that they could tell in the backyard. So we hear stories like that all the time. And those are the kinds of stories we hear about people who are lost, too. And I'm sure you've heard them. So it's hard to say, but these are very common experiences for people after they've suffered a loss. When you have an absence of that in your life and you have the absence of that uh, that unconditional love being reflected back to you, how do you begin the process of regaining that in your life? How do you process the beginning of that in your life without flat out going out and rescuing or uh, getting another uh, dog or cat or, or animal? Well, I first think it is important to recognize that that our pet is likely to predecease us, that most of our animal companions have lifespans that are much shorter than ours unless we adopt a parrot or a turtle unless we have a horse and we're in our later age ourselves. And so I think it's important to be, in a sense, prepared for that. And as we were talking about a moment ago, to realize that there's a life cycle and there's an end to the life cycle. And also that when our friend dies, it, it, is, not, it is not because we've done something wrong. It's not generally because of that has done something wrong. We have such a such a strange relationship with death in our society. We're so distanced from it that we often tend to feel like if and when anything that has value to us or any person that has value to us dies, that that it was it was somehow wrong. It was a mistake. Or it was some some something that was bad that a person did. And and that's just not it's not usually true. It's just the natural order of things. But when we lose, when we lose our friend, I think it's a good idea, <clears throat> excuse me, to give ourselves the time that it, it takes for us to go through whatever sort of intensity of feelings and experiences we need to go through to get to a place where we've taken the experience of loss and it's now part of our story it's it it is something that we've we've journeyed through and and we now feel 
wiser as a result because every loss brings new wisdom about the complexity of the world. <clears throat> and I also think that it's important if we are feeling at all confused about whether or not we should bring another animal companion into our lives, it's, it's better to wait if you're confused about it, if you're not sure, because you have all the rest of the future to do that. But if you do it and it turns out that you feel something negative about it, and this does happen, people will get another pet and they'll expect that that pet will replace the relationship that they had and maybe they've adopted a new puppy and puppies are a huge amount of work and they weren't exactly up for that. It can be upsetting rather than supportive. And so I think it's a good idea to think that through, but this varies enormously from person to person. There's some people absolutely need to go out and adopt another animal companion. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's, what suits their temperament. And there are many ways to get through this. So I tend to have a whole bunch of animals at any given time because it's important for me to have that sort of non-human family as part of my family. But that's not the way it is for everybody. Some people actually say they are never going to get another pet. Most of them don't mean it, but some of them do pain is, is is super intense i um i when i put down uh, i had to put down two dogs and a cat and every time that's happened what i've done is I, i've always looked at them in their eyes when they were going and you know it's poured my heart out and i i couldn't have cried more and it's just it's so so intense and you realize you know it, it's so intense but then at the same time if you rescue an animal you know that you provided the best life possible you could it's like you know you gave a huge part of yourself and your heart and I know it's very tough, but I mean, it, it's amazing that you, if you could do that and move past that, you can give another animal another opportunity to have a great life, and especially if you're, you're compassionate, too. I mean, there's one thing I think this world needs more of, especially on the front of the animals, is compassion and love. So if you're out there oh, and agree. considering it, you know, and it's tough, believe me, I've been there, and I, fortunately I know I'll be there in the future, but you know, you've got a beautiful heart. Share that with that animal because that animal out there is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to, to rescue um, it's true. And, and you know, when you, when you talk about euthanasia, it's important to keep in mind that you're not killing your friend. They are being, they are being killed by an illness, by the growing infirmities of old age, an accident perhaps. You are not killing them. You are helping to end the suffering. And it's just crucial to remind yourself of that and to and to understand that it's also a really good idea to make that decision in consultation with a veterinarian who you trust and or family members who who love and respect you as well excellent thank you and what would you advise some of the things that people from an outside perspective can do to those who are mourning the loss of uh, you know, their beloved dog or cat or other animal, what are some of the things that that person can do to help them? It's animals? important. It's important, first off, for them to take their friend's grief seriously and to think about if you had, if they had a family member who meant the world to them and that family member died, how significant would their grief be? So the first the first consideration is to be very respectful of what this loss means to their friend. And then from there, to listen to them, to listen without judgment, to acknowledge what they're saying, to use those active listening skills that we've all probably heard about when you listen to your friend saying how very, very sad they are, to say back to them, I can see that this is ripping your heart out or whatever your words would be, to be empathic, to put yourself in their place emotionally and to make that clear. There are some things you shouldn't do, and they happen very – they are done very commonly. Things you shouldn't do are say things that you think may be healing but are actually going to likely be experienced as dismissive. And those are things like, well, he or she is in a far better place now or you will meet again 
and this was meant to be. Those kinds of things, or you'll feel much better in a little while. If you say those kinds of things, they come from the best intentions, but they are experienced generally as as though you're trying to shut down the person's feelings. And it is important to keep in mind that, as I mentioned a little bit ago, as a culture, we're we're pretty frightened and disturbed by death, and we're also a culture that doesn't manage negative feelings very well at all. We're all about happy, and when we when we have a loss, and we're or we're close to a person who's having a loss, they're not happy, and it's it's hard for many people to stay in close connection to somebody who's in emotional pain because if you're going to be empathic, that means you're going to you're going to feel to some extent their emotional pain too, and that means you have to be willing to tolerate that and not say or do things that are meant to change the way they feel or shut down the expression of the way they are feeling. Mr. Ken Doan Del Vecchio, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You can learn more about Mr. Del Vecchio by going to his website, greengateleadership.com. Again, you can also check out some of his phenomenal books. Again, the book is called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. If you look online, it's got so many five-star reviews. I think 90, I mean, 4.8 out of five stars, and you're talking about several reviews that are on here. So, Mr. Zavakia, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ryan. It was a pleasure talking with you. Welcome back to the show is Mr. Peter Anthony, producer, international psychic, paranormal investigator, contributor writer for several spiritual magazines across the country, and he also had a near-death experience where he's going to give some profound insight on what happens to our beloved animals when they cross over. You know more about Mr. Anthony by going to his website at theaccidentalprofit.com. So, Mr. Anthony, are they all on the other side, green grass with infinite number of treats? I mean, that's uh, that's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> A little Perino bacon bits, huh? <laughs> oh, right. so, oh, are, they, are they just they have like a, a bunch of legs they can choose from, so whatever one they want to scratch or get busy with? You know, I'm just curious. Oh, uh, you know, I th- this is the thing too that's going to blow so many people out of the uh, you know those southern states in America that are just going to come after me, but I don't care. Um, but I think if they really listen to the message, you know, when I crossed over, you know, I was able to see what humanity was doing to the animal kingdom. And it really touched my heart profoundly. I saw the abuse of the dolphin. I saw the abuse of, of the abuse of cats and dogs and horses. You know, I saw the abuse of, of 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 the animals in Africa. For some reason, it was like a zoom lens when I was having my conversation with God. I could see all this abuse going on, and I saw these other people rescuing these animals. And what I tapped into, and this is where it's going to become controversial, but I want you to really listen to. People say, do animals have souls? Absolutely. And let me repeat that. Do animals have souls? Absolutely. And when you are abusing an animal, you might as well be abusing your daughter. You might as well be abusing your your best friend or your mom or your father. So be mindful of that because these animals that come back into your life come back with you lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And they come back and they want to be with you because they they rescue you and you rescue them. So just be mindful that when you see an animal on the street that needs help, maybe that animal is calling to you. Maybe that animal is wanting to reach out to you. So help that unconditional loving animal to to you know, to help you to help the other planet and the other animals. You know, I I travel around this planet and I always always want to talk about the animal kingdom because I was so profoundly changed by what I saw. I didn't have animals before, but now when I see cats and I see dogs and I see horses, you know, so many people contact me all around the planet and they send me pictures of their dog or their cat or their horse. And I had a lady last year during the Christmas holiday. She said, I found this horse and I feel connected to it. And she said, I don't know why I'm so connected to it. And I said, this horse is being abused. She said, you're kidding. I said, no, this horse is being abused. And she said, how do you know that? I said, just go out there. And this is somewhere in California. I won't tell you who or where or what. But she showed up, and she saw the man that was basically had this horse and just was just being this horse. We rescued that, that horse, raised $40,000, got him out of that horrible environment, got vets down there, and boom, we got it. This woman's connection to this horse is so profound. They operate on what we call a psychic level. 
you know, think about this. When you walk in the door and you've had a cat or a dog and that dog is knows when you're coming home, you know, and you, you, that's you had a really bad day and you're just, you know, come in, the dog knows that you've had a bad day. And they can sense it because they operate. They smell fear and they smell love. Let me repeat that. They smell fear and they smell love. And their senses are so acute. And so think about that. Your dog doesn't understand, you know, the English language, but yet he does. Why is that? You know, go get your baby. Yeah, because they know there's that we don't give our animal kingdom the credit that it's that it's that it's due. When I was on the other side, what I saw were intelligent beings on this planet that are more advanced than you and I. Well, I'm wondering, would those I'm hoping that the animals. I, I've said this before on the show, but I hope that the animals, you know, grow, evolve, so they start preying on the human beings, and the human beings live in fear of the animals. I makes me sick. The way uh, people prey on animals, I, I think factory farming is is an atrocity, and I think any other form of animal abuse is just sickness. So I'm hoping the animals do they do they do evolve, and human beings become they're beneath the on the lower end of the food chain. I'd love to see the dogs rise up and take out the humans and other animals. <laughs> the I do. Well, Ron, I'm I'm sensing a vigilante in you there. This oh, yeah, I know what it is. I, you know, I can't, I, there might be a little bit of Godfather there in you is there. No. <laughs> I, I I have to say, Peter. Well, you know, <laughs> to start paying attention to your animals, you know, what I call your communication. You know, I have I, I rescued a blind dog that I had for 13 years. I became his seeing eye dog, and that dog rescued my life. But I taught that dog. I would talk when I went to left. I'd clap my hands once, and then when I turned right, I'd clap my hands twice. And I taught this dog how to walk with me, you know, and it was just a connection. And he learned so much from me. But you know, as I said, so the animal kingdom has been sent to us, I know by God. And it is up to you and I, as I said, when we see something being abused, whether it's a child or a dog or a cat, it is our time to do something about it. You step in and you take matters into your own hand, however you see it now. Because I think to me, like you, you know, if, if I see someone abusing an animal, I'm right there. You don't touch that animal. And you know what? I'll go down. I will go down. I will get that animal out of harm's way, but I'll go down. I will not have it. I will not have it. Not these beautiful creatures have been sent to us. And your experience in going on the other side and seeing these uh, wonderful animals, when an animal has an experience with a human being and they have developed this tight, incredible bond, how likely is it that that animal is going to reincarnate as another animal to continue its life evolution with that human being? or? Say, for example, if you rescue four or five different dogs over different courses of your life, what's the likelihood that one of your dogs is a previous reincarnation of another one? I have that right now. Okay. I had a cat named Baxter. I write about this in my book, Key Master. I mean, I lost my cat in a fire. I had a, a stalker who set my, my building on fire, and I lost everything that night, including my cat. And this cat, this uh, uh, Blue Point Siamese, used to just lay on my shoulders and just chatter. And when I rescued this dog that I have currently named Sundance, this dog jumps up on when I'm sitting on the chair, and he sits on me like he's a, a, a fur, and he chatters, the same kind of chatter that the cat. And it's just the strangest thing. He loves birds and feathers. He just, you know, every time he sees a bird or feathers, he just goes crazy. And, you know, he, he you know, that little chatter that cats make when they see a bird in the window, like that little chatter, he does the same thing. Just acts like a cat. And, uh, you know, I thought, this is Baxter. Baxter's come back. So, you know, in my heart, I know that's Baxter, you know, and it was a special cat. And this dog I have right now, oh, my God. You know, animals come back and they find us. And if we're open and aware and we're at the right place, the right moment, and we're in the right state of consciousness, they show up. Excellent. And do you recommend that people uh – Rescue uh, as, as opposed to buying animals? Do you think that that's what Oh, go to your humane societies, the SBCA, and go rescue these animals. You know, I, I have so many people that I, that I correspond with, and especially vets. You know, I know the stories that I hear. These animals know when they're going to the death chamber. They, they, they cry. They freak out. They don't want to go. So, you know, as I said, so go. All of you, find, find your shelter, your local shelter, and go and rescue an animal. It is your time to make a difference in someone else's life, and that someone else is that wonderful pet. Excellent. Mr. Peter Anthony, I want to thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your experience about what you saw on the other side and your great insight about animals. To learn more about Peter, please go to his website at theaccidentalprofit.com. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. 
Okay, everyone, that concludes part 13 of The Death Show. Special thanks to our kind-hearted and honorable guests. The next program after this is the final part of The Death Show. It's going to focus all on science and skepticism. So I hope you stick around for that. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.